for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. So I don't know if you know this or not, John T., but our colleague Mary Beth, wherever she lives, wants her house ringed with azaleas. So a few weeks ago, she made a plan to plant some here in Oxford. Before purchasing the first new plant, she scooped up the dirt from her beds, put it in Ziploc bags, and took it to the local cooperative extension office for testing. I remember my daddy saying that was the kind of thing I was supposed to do, but I've never done that. Um, But I've always been aware that these cooperative extension offices were part of the land-grant college work. The idea, as I understand it, is while you're educating students at the university, cooperative extension is supposed to be educating the public. So they can grow things, they can steward their land. Right. Everyone can get help, whether you're growing azaleas or running a big commercial farm. Unless. Unless you are a native person living on tribal lands. So technically, the Cooperative Extension Service is supposed to help them, right? Theoretically. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. Producer Irina Zhorov tells the story of why Native American tribes haven't always been served by extension and why a program meant to fix that isn't exactly working for all tribes. There's a piece of lore that Chumper Walker likes to tell. Um, I can't tell you the year and I can't tell you who. He says sometime before the Cherokees were forced from their land in the South, perhaps in the 17 or early 1800s, surveyors visited the region. And when they came over this one pass, cultivated fields spread out below them. You can imagine coming over this big mountain and seeing a cornfield stretch as far as you could possibly see in any direction. And that was all Cherokee grown. That was a Cherokee cornfield. And it was just that image talks about the strength of agricultural pre-colonizations. He says the Cherokees, they're the original farmers in this country. Agriculture's always been important. We weren't hunters, we weren't fishers, we weren't um, gatherers, we were farmers. Of course, we did all those other things, but our primary food came from our own farming and subsistence. The Cherokees once occupied territory in what are now several different southeastern states. White settlers pushed them off that land, and in the mid-1800s, government troops drove them west. Thousands died en route to Oklahoma on the Trail of Tears. Some of the small groups that managed to remain in the South or return there eventually came to be known as the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. To rebuild, they purchased some land in western North Carolina in the mid-1800s. Our land here is most likely what people didn't fight real hard for many, many years ago. It's really beautiful country, but most of it is mountainous and not great for farming. People have lost access to certain foods, especially through the mid-1900s when commodities and government surpluses were coming to the reservation and being given out to people. People kind of either, one, because they didn't have the land, or two, they didn't have the financial resources, relied a lot on government surplus and government food 
uh, rations. So a lot of people either lost access to their seed or the seed became infertile anymore. Part of Chumper's job is to reclaim that agricultural past. He's the director of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians Extension Office. Congress established Extension in 1914. And from the very start, its mission was to share the latest ag research happening at public universities with the farmers who needed it. Extension did that by placing agricultural agents in almost every county in the U.S. to work with the farmers. Decades later, Congress created another kind of parallel extension program specifically to serve Native Americans living on reservations. It's called the Federally Recognized Tribes Extension Program, or FERTEP. And it allowed the Cherokees to fund another agent to work with tribal members on farming. For more than a decade, starting in 2001, Sarah McClellan Welch was the Cherokee's FERTEP agent. I used to laugh and say, why am I an agriculture agent working with the original agronomists of the southeastern United States? But there's much that's been forgotten. Extension works because agents respond to local needs. That could be massive commercial farming or tiny backyard plots. On Cherokee lands, the tribe wanted Sarah to focus on helping families set up personal gardens to grow their own food. The mission was really to promote self-sufficiency. It was to help families improve their health and their nutrition, and especially to strengthen their cultural experience through their agricultural heritage. That cultural piece is really important for FERTEP agents. Sarah's not Cherokee, but the position demanded she teach with an ear to Cherokee history, cultural norms, and practices. So in Cherokee, we focused on Cherokee plants. In other offices around the country, they're going to focus on different things. The Nez Pierce office in Idaho is going to focus on horses. But the strength of it is that it's tied in the local Native American culture. One of the families she started to work closely with was Harold and Nancy Long. Harold, who's Cherokee, and Nancy actually have a bigger farm. They cultivate about 40 acres of land in Murphy, North Carolina. They do a little bit of everything. They keep poultry, grow a ton of different vegetables, are planning to start a mushroom and ramp patch, and are raising a 400-pound mulefoot pig named Connie. Oh my God, she's so big. (laughs) I know. Connie, want a cookie? You want a cookie? Huh? Harold walks over to the garden and brings back a healthier snack, a juicy tomato. Connie, do some tomatoes. A portion of the farm's income comes from seeds. Harold and Nancy grow veggies, and in addition to selling the tomatoes or beans or cucumbers at farmer's markets, They sell the crop seeds to other gardeners. So I'm horrified when Connie inhales the tomato. Yeah, she's eating up all your seeds. Yeah, (laughs) that'll be 300 seeds, 300 plants. (laughs) No, you gotta enjoy your food and enjoy what you grow or it's no fun. You gotta have fun too. She gets all the ones that aren't like perfect, you know. Back at the house, Nancy brings out a pan of the more perfect seeds. They're from a tomato variety called Fahrenheit Blues, and they're drying on wax paper in a basin. As they dry, they'll they'll fall apart. And usually they'll put like 10, 10, 15, 20 seeds in a packet. 
little tiny tomato seeds. Each crop they grow for seed has to taste good. But just as important are the stories the seeds tell. Uh, Harold likes to try to focus on uh, the um, Cherokee varieties. There's the Cherokee Trail of Tears bean. The story that goes along with them is the Cherokee had put these in the pockets when they went on the Trail of Tears and saved these seed. There's a Cherokee tan pumpkin they grow. That seed, too, traveled to Oklahoma with the Cherokees. Only recently did Sarah McClellan Welch's husband actually go to Oklahoma and bring back a few seeds to grow out here. Then there's the blue corn a community member traded Harold. Nancy says they were able to trace it back to Will West Long, a man born in 1870 who started the Cherokee Indian Fair. Harold got like a hundred of the seeds, grew it out, and ended up saving like four pounds of the corn seed. The Will West Long Corn, he actually said, you know, I think that I know the granddaughter. And then he actually found the great-granddaughter to give her some seed. What was that like? Harold has had throat cancer and has a hard time talking, so Nancy translates. She enjoyed being reconnected. As the FERTEP agent, Sarah helped Harold and Nancy with everything from procuring the seeds to making sure they thrived and marketing them. The tribe's then-chief, Michelle Hicks, got interested. He started sponsoring a garden kit. Now, each year, the Longs pack and bundle seed packets of everything from tomatoes to candy roaster squash and beans. And those seeds, they're distributed to interested families. Sarah says the program has remained, even as chiefs changed. We gave away thousands and thousands of seeds over the years. For Harold and Nancy, the heirloom seed business now makes up 20 to 30 percent of their annual income. But their farm success has also reverberated throughout the community. About 800 Cherokee families now sign up to receive a seed kit in the spring. You see gardens blooming in yards as you drive around the Cherokee territory. After 14 years in Cherokee, Sarah retired in 2015 and moved to Alaska. We cried when she left. I mean, it was such a loss, but it's just, they need to have a a key person in there to really, really work with the people. That's proven difficult. One of the reasons could be because Sarah's position is funded through FERTEP, that special extension program intended to serve Native American farmers. Joe Hiller, who lobbied for FERTEP to be created and then managed FERTEP projects when it came to pass, says the program's very structure impedes its mission of helping tribes with agriculture. What the heck? If there is not a better example of discriminatory treatment, I can't think of one. After the break, Joe Hiller talks about the federally recognized tribes extension program and how it might be a solution or maybe not so much a solution. But first, for eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark Distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char in their barrels, 
Every step in the bourbon making process is carefully crafted just like Bill Samuel Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. The American Agricultural County Extension Service was designed to help farmers succeed. It's up to the public universities to research and teach the latest ag science. Then it's up to the extension agents to go out and educate farmers on best practices to improve the productivity of their lands. The whole concept dating back to 1914 was if, if people want to learn something about agriculture, we'll send someone to you to talk about it at your kitchen table where you live and work, teach you how to raise chickens, how to market your corn, this and that and the other thing. That's Joe Hiller. He's a retired professor at the University of Arizona. He's also Lakota. He's worked in ag pretty much his entire life. He says extension was a real boon to American farmers. But there was a problem. Tribes did not participate in the extension revolution. County extension agents never really showed up on reservations. Joe says it's not totally clear why. Perhaps no one advocated for it. He has some other theories, too. Who's going to put gas in the county agent's tank? Is it the county? Is it the state? Is it the feds? Or is it the tribe? Couldn't figure it out. And, and oh, by the way, the county commissioners, generally, were not interested in seeing a county agent quote-unquote, their employee, work on a reservation. Tribal land, generally speaking, is federal and generates no local property taxes. So it was a question of both jurisdiction and money. Plus, reservations are often quite remote. You have to make an effort to get to them, and many county ag agents just didn't. That's not to say that Indian country never had government-sponsored ag education. In the 17 and 1800s, long before the era of cooperative extension, the U.S. and individual tribes signed treaties, establishing borders and obligations to each other. One of the things the U.S. promised in certain treaties was ag services. Joe again. In my estimation as to how and why that language got in there, I think it would be fair to say suggest that assimilation was obviously part of the motive. In other words, the motive wasn't benevolent. Not all tribes farmed like the Cherokees, and the U.S. saw teaching farming as a way to assimilate Native Americans to white agrarian society. From hunting-gathering tribes to agrarian lifestyles would mean, well, we're going to have to teach you how to do this, in fact, because we're not going to let you wander all over this place anymore. The promises in the treaties didn't last, though. And by the 1980s, Native people around the country were looking around and saying, hey, why don't we have ag agents? After all, tribal land is often rural, but... There are not many agricultural economies on reservations. In 1990, after lobbying from Indian country, the Farm Bill carved out funding for the Federally Recognized Tribes Extension Program, or FERTEP. It paid for a new cohort of ag agents, like Sarah McClellan Welch, who would be dedicated to tribes' needs. The scope was limited, about a dozen agents that first year, each serving a specific tribe or reservation. 
In the U.S., there are nearly 600 federally recognized tribes. The program has grown. Today, about $3 million per year funds 36 projects. Most of them are out west. There are four in the south. The Seminole tribe in Florida has an agent, the Choctaw tribe in Mississippi, the Pamunkey Indian tribe in Virginia, and the Cherokees. By contrast, county extension is almost in every county. Drew takes issue with that disparity. Last I checked, Indians are U.S. citizens, and here is a glaring piece of the American dream, access to agricultural education. That did not happen. Did not happen for Indian country. And you know, you can go out there right now, pick a reservation, particularly out in the West, and look over the fence line from the reservation and see farming and ranching and thriving agricultural operations. And then you step across the line and it's not happening on the reservation. There's lots of complicated reasons for it, but one of them is the lack of contemporary education programs or knowledge about agriculture. There's another big difference between how county extension and tribal extension work. County extension offices are funded by a formula, a mix of federal, state, and local funds. State and county contributions might fluctuate, but federal funding stays pretty steady. That's important, says Rick Clemmy. He lobbies for extension programs in Washington. For extension to be effective, it's important to have a consistent presence. He says to get anything done, ag agents have to cultivate relationships with local organizations, the university, the farmers. Remember how Nancy and Harold cried when Sarah left? They trusted her. Your credibility is enhanced by those relationships you build. You move away from a stable funding to less stable funding then I think it uh, becomes difficult. You just can't leave and come back, particularly in areas that are underserved in the first place. But FERTEP funding, and consequently the presence of agents, is not stable. Instead of formula funding, tribes submit competitive grant applications. While some tribes win grant funding cycle after cycle, some don't. Joe Hiller remembers when a few FERTEP programs he oversaw in Arizona lost their grants. Yet the calls kept coming to their office. Hey, can you help me with this? Can you come talk to this little 4-H club? Well, no, I can't because I don't have any money anymore. The Cherokees are lucky in a sense. They have a FERTEP ag agent, like Sarah, but they also have state-funded agents that serve the tribe, like Chumper. Many tribes, like the Seminoles, have just the one grant-funded FERTEP agent. When the grant goes, the ag agent often disappears, too. It's so important to have a presence because Indian country has been carpet-bagged to death. Even today, it's like you got a hailstorm. Where did all these roofing companies come from, right? <laughs> you know, they, they flow into town whenever there's an emergency and then you don't see them again, right? That's an Indian reservation. Carpetbaggers come and go, come and go, come and go. Well, and so how do we deliver extension to them? A come and go program. If they're good grant writers, they get some money. 
if they're not, they go down the road. To Joe, the unstable funding and the fact that the tribal extension program doesn't serve every tribe that wants agricultural education adds up to glaring inequality. The lack of extension in Indian country is absolutely discriminatory in my mind. Absolutely. The Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians hasn't had a dedicated ag agent for 34 of the 48 months since longtime agent Sarah McClellan Welch retired. Government salaries are modest to begin with, and the unstable funding is a red flag for many would-be applicants. Nancy and Harold Long, meanwhile, are still growing and diversifying their farm. This year, they planted about a half acre of hemp. We started some seed, and then we also got a few seedlings. And our goal is to grow these out. We'd like to try to do the CBD oil where we're soil to oil. It's a newly legal crop in the state and a new crop for them. So they have a lot of questions from irrigation to licensing. It's kind of a big experiment. Nancy called up the local county agent for help. And uh, the agent, the local one, wasn't familiar and um, said he had wished that they were trained before it became where they were giving licenses out and it was legal. And I said, well, I, I really need some information on it. And he just said, well, my best information to you is just take a wait-and-see attitude, you know, wait a couple of years and see what happens. But that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to, to jump in. We wanted to experiment. We, you know, we needed answers. Nancy says that's why it's important for the tribe to have a dedicated ag agent, someone aligned with the tribe's goals and willing to work with community members to accomplish them. I just think that when the tribe is working, like with Harold or a tribal member, they're really invested and they want to see their farmer succeed. Just recently, the tribe did hire a new FERTEP agent. Nancy and Harold haven't met him yet, but they're crossing their fingers he stays a while. There's a lot of work to do. That was Irina Zhorov reporting. She's reported for us before and we're glad to have her back. You can also read a version of this story at southerlymag.org. We respect and admire their work. It's a new Southern digital magazine that covers ecology, justice, and culture. Check it out. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music, managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter is our publisher. Thanks to audio engineer Charlie Kyer. Enjoy listening to Gravy so much that you want to attend an event? Join us March 28th in Birmingham, Alabama for our Spring Symposium. Expect a deep dive into the future of the restaurants. Visit southernfoodways.org to learn more, and while you're there, become a member. If you're already a member, make a donation. We need your dollars to thrive. Thank you. I'm Melissa Hall. I'm John T. Edge.